So, Matthew chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, and let's pray this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Excuse me, span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed, arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Let's pray. Father, we do ask you this morning to be glorified in our hearts and our minds. You are so big and we are so little. I pray as Pastor Jackie shares this morning, I pray that these words would pierce our hearts and grow deep and plant these seeds that would bear good fruit. I thank you for a pastor who loves your word and is willing to pour himself out time after time for this congregation, for this flock of people. And I pray that you would bless him for his efforts. God, protect him, I pray, in these days. And then, Father, we pray for our young ones, the children, Lord. They are the next generation of the church, the future generations. And, Lord, I pray for them as our Sunday school teachers labor over our children to plant the seed of your word into them in an early age that they would, too, grow into the full maturity of godly men and women someday. I thank you for our little ones. I, I thank you for the teachers who give themselves selflessly to teach our kids. And so, Father, I pray that you would be glorified in our Sunday schools today and that life would happen there and in the sanctuary. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Kids, you're out of here, okay? All right, we are still <clears throat> working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. So I've given some homework. I don't know if anybody ever takes it, but I'll give it to you again. While we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to be doing for a long time, read the Sermon on the Mount at least once a week, chapter 5 through 7. Jesus delivered it at one time and it's important for us 
as we study scripture to be able to see it in in its wholeness when we when we chop up pieces to to look a little bit deeper at what he's saying it it sometimes causes us to lose continuity if you want to keep continuity with the word of god you got to read it like it was delivered so read chapters five through seven during the week and see the whole picture the beatitudes that jesus delivers to his disciples and says hey this is what you have to look forward to following me this is the blessed man the blessed way following these beatitudes and then he challenged them right to be salt and light in the world that's the preamble moving into the message the primary thesis the point of the message is found next unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the pharisees you will not see the kingdom of god now for you and i maybe that doesn't mean as much when he said that to them it's like saying the most perfect example of a godly righteous person unless you're better than that you can't get into the kingdom of heaven now, what we tend to do next is we work our way through the Sermon on the Mount is figure out how we're going to do all these things. Okay, let's go back to the thesis. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you can't get in. There's only one way. Your righteousness will exceed their righteousness. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. It is a righteousness that is imputed to us through faith in Christ. This is the, this is the, the discussion that Jesus has given. He's, he wants them to realize that your pursuit of righteousness and this list of all the things you need to do will never lead you to the kingdom of God. What will lead you to the kingdom of God is the one standing before them delivering the message. He's the one. Unless your righteousness exceed their righteousness and so to to make that point for them he goes into those six statements you remember we did them a few weeks ago you've heard it said you shall not murder but i say to you you remember by the time we work our way through those those statements but those three couplets by the time we look at them we recognize i'm not righteous so someone who's not righteous who wants to enter into the kingdom of god should realize he needs something right? I need something because I, I, I'm, I'm, I can't produce that. I can't produce never being angry with my brother. Can you do that? I don't even know if we do it for a week. <laughs> so, so when we look at it, th this is the point that he's driving home. You need a greater righteousness than the one you can accomplish by works can you be saved by works no you're saved by faith in the finished work of jesus christ right he goes on now last week um, mark shared with you guys he goes on and he says listen the things which are primarily done for personal gain they don't accomplish any righteousness so now he's saying your motives matter you say, what do you mean? I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do. I go to church once a week at least. I might even go twice a week. Woohoo, think how holy I am. 
and I always give when they pass the basket, and I always am willing to pray when it's time to pray, and if they call for fasting, I'll fast. The Lord is saying, look, correct actions with improper motives won't make you righteous. Remember, he went through all those lists, right? You do this to be seen by men. You do this to be seen by men. You have your reward. If you want to please the Lord, those are all, I'm not saying those are bad things, right? What Jesus is saying is the motive behind your actions matter. You have to be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. And even if you do all the right things, but you do it for the wrong reason, you're still not righteous. You're still short and you still need a savior. Don't, don't miss the point. Today we're going to look at Matthew 6, uh, 19 to 34, where Jesus is going to talk about money and true riches. And he's still building on the idea of our motivations. What is our motivation? Greater righteousness demanded from his disciples can only be present. When the focus of our lives is God. He's central. He's central. And you and I, we're not going to work that up. You're not going to whip that up without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, if you don't have that, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, man, before you ever make a dime, before you develop a business, before you do all the things we think are so important in life, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, none of that is going to help you at all. In fact, Jesus will say, who gets your stuff? So we, we want to understand the concept that, that he's building in his sermon. So we have... Two paracopes, two paragraphs in this section of scripture we're going to look at. Two commands. And the two commands assume you're doing the opposite. So that it's going to be, don't be anxious, which assumes we are being what? Anxious. It's going to say, don't uh, store up treasure, but do store up uh, your relationship to God, right? Spiritual things. Don't store up uh, natural things because he's assuming that's what we're doing, Right? In fact, we made a bumper sticker for it, didn't we? He who dies with the most toys still dies. You're right. <laughs> he still dies. But that was a, that was a thing, right? That was something that, that uh, people chased. So we want to look at this idea that our spiritual attitude is affected by our desires, And what's really setting on the throne in our life. There's a way for me to be the best father I can be, the best husband I can be, the best human I can be. But the way for those things to occur is for me to be submitted to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If I'm pursuing being a good human, being a good husband, being a good uh, father, but I don't have that relationship with Christ. It's a it's a ongoing, never-ending battle that needs to find its solution and surrender to Him. 
deliverance through the power of Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at what he says. Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth rust or where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. First thing he says, material stuff don't last. Do we know that? Right? You ever, you remember the, the, the thing you wanted most? Something you were chasing, some material thing that you really wanted? In the early days of my ministry, when I was doing youth ministry like 25 years ago in, uh, in Joshua Springs, I was also coaching the football team. And the uh, first year I coached the football team, I went to the freshman guys on the football team and I said, if you guys work with me, by the time you're seniors, we're going to play for the championship. And we did. And we had this goal of getting a ring, a championship ring, CIF championship ring, which my CIF championship ring for California is not worth a, anything I paid for it. But this was a goal that I set my mind Singleness of purpose. We, I went, I was gone all the time, filming games, building plans, developing teams, trying to train uh, young men to be football players. I poured all my effort and all my time and all this stuff into this dream, and I achieved it. We, we actually lost lots of championships before we won one. But, but we, when we won the championship, my second son, my oldest son, unfortunately, graduated without it. My middle son, he, he got to play in the championship game, and we got to order a ring. And so I, I ordered that ring, and I, I was so excited. It's, this is the thing I've worked so hard for. I don't even know where it is. I have no idea. Kathy probably knows. It's in a drawer, a junk drawer somewhere. In the bottom of a junk drawer, this... This uh, white gold giant ring that I spent so much time trying to get that after I got, I realized I'd like all that time back. I'd like to teach all those boys something else. Well, they're good football players. And we, I'm not saying we never talked about the Lord. We, we did Bible study every day. We did a devotion every day. But I'd have spent way more time doing that than ever wasted any time getting that ring because material things they don't satisfy now life am I dying this is Jonathan's favorite thing to run up front and give Jackie a battery it's two batteries. There it went. There it went again. Right, brother. You're beautiful. Thank you. Imagine if I had to run back there and look for a battery, that'd been terrible. So I'm not know if I'm smart enough to do this, but hey. Okay. There's at least one mic on. So my point is, the things in my life that I have done, my spiritual pursuits, 
desires of knowing God, understanding the mysteries of God, understanding greater depths of his word. I've never, I've never gone through any of that where I looked back and said that was a waste of time. Not, not one piece. Our material things, they don't last, and their satisfaction doesn't last either. In fact, Jesus talks about this. We read about it in the Gospel of Luke. So in, in Luke 12, verse 15, um, I'll read this to you because I don't think I sent it to these guys. Sorry. That's what happens when, you, when Jackie don't give you the right stuff. You guys got Bibles, though. So look it up. Luke 12, 15. <clears throat> Sorry. Was that mean? My wife says sometimes I'm mean. I'm not trying to be mean. Uh, Luke 12, verse 15. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, thou fool. I like the King James there. Thou fool. This night your soul is required of you. The idea in the story is this man spent all his time building his empire. But he didn't spend that time building a relationship with God. And then on the day when he died, what good was his stuff? What did it do for him? Well, his kids, yeah, they had a great life maybe and all. That, that's cool. There's, there's positive things that can come from, from wealth. But the problem is that guy's doomed He's doomed because his focus was his empire and his focus was not having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's who we are today, then the problem is you may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't, hell is not where you want to be. The scripture is telling us rather than focus first on your empire, focus first on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the point of this, of this whole section. He says, so is the one, verse 21 of Luke 12, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself, but is not rich toward God. When, when the Lord was speaking to the people through the prophet Hosea to the northern kingdom, he says, here's my problem with you guys. You don't know me. When we read the Old Testament, we think, we look at that, we look at the stories of the Old Testament, and we think, well, this is really weird, and all this stuff that's going on, all that stuff that's going on, you can read in a newspaper any day. It's man without God. You guys remember when we went through Judges, you going through the one-year Bible, and we read about the craziness with uh, the Bethlehem, boo, the Bethlehemites, Bethlehemites. You remember all that stuff? Am I on this now? Okay, so when we're going through the, the Bethlehemites and we're reading that story of people raping and then killing this woman and then this woman being chopped up in pieces and mailed to all the tribes, that's weird. Is it weird? Okay, 
So here's what you need to understand when you read that story. That situation is not godly people focused on a relationship with Christ, pursuing him, pursuing the Lord God Almighty, and they do these weird things. No, that's a world without God. Now, was it the nation of Israel? Yes. Should they have been people who pursued God? Yes. So should we. When I read the stories of the nation of Israel and their failures, I don't see dumb people that I don't understand how they couldn't get it because I make those same mistakes. I fall back in my same despair. I look at the situations in the world and I go, Lord, how are you going to solve this? I don't know what I'm going to do. And I sit up and I stay awake all night trying to figure out how to make this financial plan work or how to pay off this bill I don't know how I'm going to pay off or how to overcome this illness that I I don't know how I'm going to overcome. And all that time, all that effort was spent trying to solve the problem myself. But I know the one who who solves those problems because that same book we read with those weird stories also tells us the stories of God's deliverance, right? And the stories of God's deliverance is there for us to recognize, whoa, look what happens. I get my eyes so onto all these other things. I'm distracted by a great many things, but only one thing really matters. Do you know the Lord? Is he your Savior, seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's pursue him. This is the message that Jesus is delivering for us. Okay, let's, let's back up. Okay, uh, Matthew 6, verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. How do I do that? How do I lay up for myself treasures in heaven where <clears throat> neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves don't break in and steal? Well, I lay up for myself treasures in heaven when I pursue the knowledge of God. When I pursue him. God's greatest problem with the children of Israel through the minor prophets in the Old Testament is you guys don't know me. We read the stories and we go, this is weird. Why would God let them do this? God didn't let them do this. They weren't listening to him. He'd send prophets. The prophets would tell them, stop doing this. And they would kill the prophet because they don't like the message. Kind of like our world today. It's not going to like the message. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Why? Because he's the dividing point. If you stand with Christ, you're opposed to the message of the world. And sometimes that means you got to do hard things. Store up for yourself treasure in heaven. Know God. Pursue the knowledge of God. Why? Verse 21, for where your treasure is, what's he say? What's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Your whole being, right? To love God with all of you. And when we think about that, we all struggle with, can I love God this way? Well, the point is where your, where your treasure is. Where's your treasure? Like, uh, how long have I been here? 13 years ago. 
<clears throat> I'd only been here a couple months. I rode up here on a Heritage Softail. It was my favorite bike I've ever had. 21 inch ape hangers. I know you guys look at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's all right. I just like to say it. I picture it in my mind again. 21 inch apes. It was not no super race car. It was just my favorite bike. But I sat here on a Wednesday up here on the, on the pulpit and I declared before everyone, my bike is not my treasure. You watch it, you want to test it, test it today. Walk up and say, hey, can I take your bike for a spin? I'll toss you a key. I don't care. Don't hurt yourself. <laughs> I don't want you to hurt yourself. But look, that's not my treasure. It's not my treasure. I'd be bummed somebody ran over with their car. Oh, that's a bummer. But it's not my treasure. Uh, I like guitars. I have, a, I have, I might have too many guitars. Um, but I have, I have a bunch of guitars and, um, I know I never have a problem if somebody says, Hey, can I play your guitar? Sure. Play a guitar. Well, what if they trip and fall and land on it and break it? Oh, well, that guitar is not my treasure. I love my children, but my children are not my treasure. My children oftentimes are the greatest source of heartbreak for me. But they're not my treasure. Now, I love them desperately, right? And I would give myself for to save my child any time. But it's not my treasure. They're not my treasure. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. A long time ago, I was someone that nobody would have cared about at all. Now, along with my sparkling personality, I am, <laughs> I'm a bit of a wretch. Uh, my parents didn't want me. My, most of my friends didn't want me. Uh, pretty sure Kathy didn't want me. All the stuff but in the, I don't know, in that place where when you, if you would be honest with yourself, you know, we're not always honest with ourselves, right? You may not be in a place where you're able to be honest with yourself about who you are and what's going on. But in that place where I'm honest with myself, I'm like, uh, uh, there's really no hope for me. Except for Christ. And the Bible tells me that in my, in my place as an enemy of God, a child of wrath. You guys know what that phrase means? It means I'm, I'm so bad that as a child of wrath, all I should expect is the wrath of God. And Jesus Christ, my great God and Savior, saved me from the wrath of God. He took my place. He's my treasure. And I have, to, I have to gut check that often in life because if it's not right, my heart won't be there either. Because I care about the things that please God. When we read the Sermon on the Mount, there's a lot of things here that are hard to do. Amen? Like that whole phrase, I was talking with a friend of mine uh, earlier this week, the whole phrase about uh, if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. Anybody like to hear that? 
No, is that, is that you put that on your fridge when you go home? <laughs> if someone has done me wrong and I won't forgive them, God won't forgive me. Do you, do you do that? But it tells me the heart of God. So I know God's heart is for me to forgive. But I know I can't earn righteousness through performance. I must cling to my Savior. And he will give me what I need to learn how to forgive. Amen? Because he is the ultimate final authority. That's where we want to cling. That's what we want to hold on to. Now here's Jesus kind of developing the idea. If I don't pick up speed, we're not going to get done. Matthew 6, 22. Okay, listen to this. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Everybody got it? Okay, so if I have to talk on this, we don't have any time. No. Here's, sorry, I'm kidding. That's that's, that's my lame humor. So, so, so here's what I want you to see. Sometimes it's hard. It's, it's hard to translate things across languages. And sometimes when we translate them, it becomes clunky, right? The, the, what's trying to be said is, is clunky. So, so Jesus speaking to his disciples, probably speaking in Aramaic. And if we go back to the Aramaic or the Hebrew, there's a phrase, there's an idiom that, that talks about the evil eye or the good eye. Okay? The Hebrew, the Hebrew phrase is ayin tov. Ayin tov is the good eye. Ayin ra'ah is the evil eye. You ever heard somebody say, he's giving me the evil eye? Okay? So the Hebrew idiom for evil eye and for good eye is this idea. The person with the evil eye is stingy. They're focused on gathering, they're selfish, focused on gathering wealth for themselves. Their pursuit is self. Are you, tra- are you tracking with me? And the person with the, the, with the good eye, they're generous. So that's what the, the Hebrew idioms. Now, everybody doesn't agree with me. You guys look it up in whatever commentary you want. I don't care what they all say. I think if I go back to the language that Jesus is talking to his guys, this all makes more sense. So if I have the evil eye, I'm a stingy guy. I'm a stingy guy focused on my own empire, and, and I don't really care about other people. This same phrase is used in two Proverbs, Proverbs 23, 6. It says, do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy, nor desire his delicacies. That's the word, ayin ra, the evil eye. Don't eat with a person with an evil eye. That's not about, you know, he looked at me funny. That's not it. You guys get what I'm saying? The, the Proverbs 28, 22. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. A stingy man, man with an evil eye. So the point that Jesus is saying, look, the eye is the lamp of the body. So the eye is speaking of my motivations, how I organize or prioritize my life. And if I prioritize my life with self, being first, the primary focus of my life, my kingdom, my empire, my stuff, my things. If I do that, then I'm going to walk in darkness. The motivations of my life will not lead me to the righteousness of God. Do you get what I'm saying? He's saying, look, 
This is the, the, the ayin tov in Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 11. Here's what, uh, what Moses wrote for us. It says, if, any, if among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand to your poor brother. Keep in mind the idea of stingy. This is, this is going to be the most un-American thing we say today. What did, what did the law, what does the law say? The Torah, right? In Deuteronomy 15, 7, it says, You shouldn't shut your hand to your poor brother. You will open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. So the idea was that the nation of Israel was to be community, not, com- not communal, community that cared about its neighbors. So if, you're, if your neighbor, your brother, remember all these people there, this is all family. This is all part of the family. And I think this is part of the structure of how the family of God should work. If somebody didn't have food, he could come to you and you would not be a person with an evil eye. You'd be a person with a good eye. And you'd give him what he needs. Now, our struggle nowadays is we don't, we're not really sure what we need. I'm going to help you. You don't need your phone. You don't need your car. You don't need all the things we think we need. But you do need food. You do need clothing. You do need a place to stay. Yeah? So the idea is, look, you're supposed to help him. Take care, he says in Deuteronomy 15.9. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart. And you say, the seventh year, the year of release is, is near. And your eye look grudgingly at your poor brother so you don't give him anything. Um, and he cry out to the Lord against you, for you will be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart will not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this, the Lord your God will bless you with all the work that you undertake. And there will never cease to be poor in the land. There's no cure. People say, why does God allow so many poor people? It's necessary for our hearts. necessary for the proper heart in the rich. And it's necessary for the proper heart in the poor. So God is saying, within community, we want to have a good eye, not a selfish eye. The whole body could be full of darkness and all about self. And he's exactly, this is exactly what he's talking about, right? Not laying up treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. So help, help one another. Listen, here at Calvary Chapel Buell, if you are a part of our fellowship and you don't have food, come tell us you don't have food and we'll get you food. Just come, you, but you got to tell me. If you don't tell me, I have no osmosis. My wife has been working on my osmosis for years and years and years. <laughs> if you come up and you want me to catch a hint and you look at me and go, gee, Jackie, I'm really hungry. I'm going to say, me too. But if you say to me, hey, Jackie, I'm, man, I, I don't have any food. We, don't get, we got no food. I'll get you food. I'll pull food right out of my freezer in my house. I'll give you meat. I'll give you whatever we can give you so that you have what you need. We don't want a stingy heart. We want a generous heart. We want to lay up treasure where? 
in heaven. We want to be like the character of our God. And this is how we reflect his character. But we have to know our God, don't we? Yeah, you have to know him if you want this to be what it needs to be. Verse 24, he declares, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon is what it ought to say. It says God and money, but money is not the thing. Mammon is all your stuff. Money would leave you to think of just money, right? The word is mammon. It means all your possessions. You can't serve all your possessions and serve God. But if you serve God first, you will properly steward all your possessions. Does it make sense? Here's what he declares. This is how... He, he lays it out so that we can understand it. Verse 25. So therefore, in light of this, don't be anxious. Okay. Don't lie in church. How many people are anxious? You bunch of disobedient people. <laughs> oh, look at my hand. Okay. What's he say? This is that second command. Remember, I told you there's going to be two commands that he gives us that assume that we're disobeying. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what, will you, what you will put on. Is not life the fullness of your life? Isn't it more than your stuff? Is life more than our stuff? Yes. You can have all the stuff in the world, but that doesn't make a life. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. We have a tendency to worry. But Paul wrote to us in Philippians 6 and 7, didn't he? He told us the same thing. Do not be anxious about everything. But in everything, how many things? Everything by prayer and supplication. Don't forget this part. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And what will happen? Peace. The peace of God. You want peace and not anxiety? Be obedient. Here's what God's word is telling us. This is what God is calling us to, right? Don't be anxious, but rather talk to God. Pray. Pray. Trust God. The same God who the night before all the people of Judah are saying, oh my gosh, we're all dead in the morning. And they woke up in the morning and all their enemies were dead and the chariots were burning. And they're looking at each other like, did you do this? I didn't do this. Did you do this? I didn't do this. Who did it? You and I are still fighting battles that God already won. And we're fighting them like it's not won. We're fighting them like, I don't know what's going to happen. And what we're really saying is, I don't know how God's going to do it. I might not like it. That's okay. You trust God. This is the call. You trust him. Don't be anxious, but rather, look what he says in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Does God take care of the birds? He's given us a lesson from the lesser to the greater. This is common Hebraic thought. The lesson from the, uh, from the lesser to the greater. So he's saying, look at the birds. 
Does God take care of the birds? Okay, let's make it bigger. Look in your Bibles. Go through the Old Testament. God ever deliver his people? They don't, has God ever done a miracle? Has God ever delivered you? Has God ever been there when you needed him to be there? If those answers are yes, 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 then why are you not trusting? Don't be anxious. Yeah, I'm stupid too. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious, but be trusting. And when we're struggling, because we fall short, amen? When we're struggling, pray. Pray with thanksgiving and let the peace of God dwell in your hearts. He says in verse 27, which of you being anxious can add a single hour to your life? Has anxiety ever made it better? Nope, me neither. Just took away all my sleep. And he says, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. Argument from the lesser to the greater. Do the lilies get worried about what they're going to wear? Oh no, I can't fit in my skinny jeans no more. I don't have any skinny jeans. I'm really trying not to look at somebody right now. Anyways, why are you guys all looking at him? Stop. I'm teasing. So the point is, do I, should I worry about that stuff? Do the flowers worry? No. Does, does God give them, array them in beauty? Yes. Are you greater of greater value than the flowers? Are you of greater value than the grass? Consider the lilies of the field. They grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I say, Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, trust God. Now listen, don't go trying to trust God if you don't know God. That you're backwards. You got the horse behind the cart. It doesn't work that way. You want to you be able to trust God, then you've got to surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've got to turn from your sin and turn to God. Right? Call upon his name. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, right? Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. And what? You shall be saved. You got, if you don't have that, Nothing else is going to, it's just words. This whole message, you cannot accomplish any of the things in the ethic of Jesus Christ without Jesus Christ driving your life. He's got to be the one, he's got to be the one in control. So listen, he says in Matthew 6, 31, this is a key to this section. Therefore, Do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek over all these things. Now, just thinking that in terms of unbeliever, right? He's in Israel talking to people who are supposed to be believers in God, right? So he's saying, look, the unbelievers seek after all these things. Your, your heavenly father knows what you need. But rather, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first. You don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. All the other stuff you amass will not matter at all. Zero. None of it will matter. 
before you figure out where you're going to go to college or what career you're going to have or what person you're going to marry or who you're going to give your heart to and love, before you do any of that, you better seek first a relationship with Jesus Christ because he's the one who brings us into the kingdom. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. No man comes to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the answer to all these questions. So seek first, listen, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is not about, this is not a call to, let's work harder, let's all be better people. If you want to be a better person, be surrendered to Jesus Christ and be obedient to what he tells you to do. Be Be empowered by his Holy Spirit and you'll be a better person. But if you try to be a better person, you're backwards. And all that work and all that labor is not going to accomplish anything for you. And all these things, he says, will be added to you. All the things, all the things you're worried about, all the stuff you have. There will be a day, guys, when we stand before Jesus Christ and we're looking in his face. And whatever things I've worried about in my whole life are not going to matter at all. Not at all. On that, on that moment, in that day, it's, it, that'll all be gone. I won't think about that at all. I'll be looking in his eye. I'll be crying like a baby. Therefore, don't be anxious for tomorrow. For tomorrow, tomorrow can worry about itself. Right? Tomorrow, tomorrow can handle its own worry. <laughs> we got enough problems right now. And our problem right now, this is the, this is the point. Don't, don't get distracted and start thinking about problems. What's your problem right now? If you're listening to Jesus' sermon, your problem right now is you recognize I don't have superior righteousness to the scribes and Pharisees. I do not measure up to the things he's challenging me with in this message. I need a righteousness that will allow me to come to God. And that is what Jesus Christ came to do. He made him who knew no sin to become my sin sacrifice that I might become the righteousness of God by putting my faith in Christ. The most important thing we'll ever do. That's the point of the message. You guys know when Jesus was talking to his disciples, people don't like it when I talk about this, but I'm already over, so who cares? Um, when Jesus delivered these messages and he would, a lot of people would follow him and a lot of people would come. Um, but they're not going to get saved. Not yet. So Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, man, greater works than these you guys are going to do. It's not because they're going to do better miracles. I don't think. I think he's saying, Peter, the first time you preach, all these people who have been listening to these messages I've been teaching, they're going to come. They're going to get saved. 
The second time you preach, 3,000 souls are going to be added to the kingdom. People are going to start all the groundwork that was laid by Jesus' parables and teaching and his work on the cross and the things that he did is going to be all accomplished by his disciples. They're going to do it all. Jesus, in fact, is going to look at him and say, it's better for you that I go away, which is weird because I've spent my whole life wanting to be with him. But he said, it's better for you that I go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. Don't get afraid. I'm not about to speak in tongues. Listen, that Holy Spirit is what empowers us to be who we need to be. But you don't have the Holy Spirit without Jesus. You got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Then he baptizes you in his spirit. And then you have the source that you need to be bold for Jesus. You have the source that you need to be wise for Jesus. You have the source that you need to do whatever Jesus is calling you to do. Because he's given you that guarantee in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. Seek that first. And don't worry about all the other stuff unless if you don't have that relationship with Christ. Amen? Why don't you guys stand with me? We're going to do things a little bit different for, for a while. We'll see. Uh, we are, as, as maybe Bob alluded to, I don't know if Bob knew about it, but, but as Bob alluded to, we always have prayer at the end of service, and it's always a struggle for folks to hear. So, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to have elders and deacons are going to be spread around the, the church, and we're just going to, uh, uh, Joe's just going to share some instrumental music. And we're just going to focus these last five minutes as a time of prayer. Now you keep going, you keep going. We're not going to, you know, we can make the lights a little bit brighter so if people want to leave, they can find their way out the door and don't trip over each other. But we really want to try to foster this time of prayer. So it's okay if you got places to go and, and places to be and you don't have time to come up. It's okay. You can, you can go. It's all right. But we want to try to keep things in here uh, to be quiet so that people can pray. And we just want to open it up for you for prayer. So I just want to encourage you guys, you know, if, if you feel the Lord took it on your heart that there's something you need to make right, then this is the time to, to do that. So I'm going to pray, and we'll just go into a time of prayer, okay? Father God, we thank you for your word and the message of your word, and we ask, Lord Jesus... You be glorified and magnified in this place. I pray, God, your spirit would work in the hearts of men and women. If there's something they need from you, Lord, your word declares not to be anxious, but to pray. You're challenging us that we might recognize before I need anything else in my life, I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. I need to be right with God. I need to move from a child of wrath to a child of light. The book of Ephesians tells me he changes me. I was once darkness, but now I am a child of the light. That's what Jesus does. He does it all. We just, we just have an opportunity for you to seek prayer, to, to uh, lift your eyes to him and acknowledge what he's already doing. God, I just pray that you be glorified in this place. 
we want to set this time aside for the pursuit of you. We give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen.